Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in him? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Pressure, pass is picked off, and who is it? Big B.J. Raji for the touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Pax What She Said podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Maggie Loney, joined as always by the exceptionally talented Perry Goldstein. And today we have another phenomenal guest. She's one of my favorite, our favorite people in the Packers Twitter sphere and Twitter in general. You may know her for her Taco Bell takes, her stance on IPAs, or you might also know her as one of the editors of Triumph Books. She covers the X Games and extreme winter sports. She loves alternative music, and you might also catch her with Bleacher Report or the Packers Wire. It's Michelle Bruton. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on Packs What She Said. Hi, thank you so much for having <laughs> me. I can't believe that we haven't done it sooner. Yeah, that's I know. Cool. That is our <laughs> No, we're doing it now. We're very excited I'm a, to I'm have a, you. I'm a podcast hermit, so I need to get better about, you know, spreading my cheer more widely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we definitely appreciate you coming on the show. And, you know, we sent you just kind of, I guess, some bullet points. There's not a lot to talk about in the off season, but there's also so much to talk about. We kind of hit on all the talking points in our list to you as they came out on Twitter yesterday. So we feel like we really, really kind of nailed these bubbles. But uh, I guess the first one that we we wanted to kind of get your opinion on is just the Packers and free agency in general, right? Like I think 2019 was kind of an anomaly where they signed a couple pass rushers. They brought in a safety, they brought in some offensive line help. And then last year they couldn't really do too much. And I think this year we're going to see that again with the cap situation. So one of the first questions we have is, do you think the Packers do anything in free agency? And if they do, what do you think maybe that looks like? Yeah. So I think that, you know, obviously, um, free agency as much as we would love for it to never exists in a vacuum. And so you always have to kind of take stock of the cap situation. And I think we all know that the Packers is particularly bad this year. Um, But I think I was thinking about this a lot earlier today and I was thinking that it's fine if you are a team whose philosophy is that about the draft is that you are not going to use it for positions of immediate need or if you don't think the value is there, you're not going to reach for a player. You only think the draft is for building for the future. That's fine. That's fine. But if that's the case and you're a team that's gone to the championship game in two consecutive seasons and you still haven't walked away with a Lombardi trophy, um, I think you then kind of are boxing yourself into a hole where you kind of necessarily need to plug up any holes you might have in free agency. You can't use the draft to build for the future and then completely ignore free agency. Yeah. 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 And I think one of the questions then too, is like kind of knowing what the cap situation looks like this year and the Packers being kind of cash strapped or, I mean, most teams in general, Perry and I on this show have talked quite a bit about, you know, franchise tagging players and what that means. And the Packers historically don't do that, but there's been in the rumor mill, some thoughts that maybe that happens with Aaron Jones. So I guess, are you team, franchise tag Aaron Jones while you work something out? Or do you think that, you know, the Packers drafted a guy like AJ Dillon for a reason? Or even franchise tag anybody like, right. Like Jones has been the one that's the name has been thrown around, but just like the usage of the franchise tag in general. Right. And it's, it's funny because, um, you know, any like talk, it's the Packers are so, um, 
exceptional and like obviously we're fans so we mean that in a good way but I also mean exceptional as in they just do everything like so much differently than everyone else um everyone else is like yeah we use the franchise tag when we need it whatever and the Packers are like oh we haven't used it since 2010 on Ryan Pickett they're the only team in the entire league that hasn't used the franchise tag from since 2010 um so obviously Gudikins kind of mentioned that he I think not only was open to it but he kind of said like um we'll definitely do it if we decide that that's, you know, what's in their best interest. Um, and I, you know, I, it's so hard because I totally understand that running backs have a shelf life as awful as that is to say, I hate to talk about humans, like they're like not humans, but they do. And, you know, obviously like AJ Dillon was drafted for a reason. Um, the franchise tag in some ways though, seems like, maybe it gives you the best of both worlds in the sense that if you think this is the year and you know that Aaron Jones gives your team um, so many more options on offense and so much more firepower, then the franchise tag is kind of that best of both worlds of like, you're kind of acknowledging that running backs have a shelf life and you're not going to like commit, you know, tons of money and guaranteed money in your cap over the next, you know, three years to him. But if you think you can win now, and if you think he's a big part of that, then you use the tag. Um, the problem with that though, is then, you know, a, is he the best player to use the tag on and B the money is still, you know, has to come from somewhere. So that still could prohibit you from doing anything else in free agency. Um, and I don't want to like jump around and introduce too many new topics, but I personally haven't thinking about it a lot. And I think that there's only like one player who can come back. I actually think Corey Lindsley is the one that they really need to prioritize. Yeah, we are team bring back Corey Lindsley actually over over. Anybody. I mean, he's the best graded center in the league. Like, how do you you don't upgrade from that? And continuity on the offensive line keeps Aaron Rodgers upright, and that's how this offense rolls. Yeah, I think the franchise tag. I've never thought about it because, like you said, the Packers don't use it, so it doesn't <laughs> like it just doesn't come to mind as an option really to me. And I think from like the Packers standpoint, it does make sense. Like you said, like if you think Aaron Jones is going to be a key piece and play a key role in this offense and potentially winning this season, then you do it. And I think it's only like eight and a half million dollars. Right. So any kind of like long-term deal, he wants way more than that. And any double long-term, right. Like exactly like double, but like, and so from a, free agency standpoint it makes sense for the team but from a player standpoint I can totally understand why players like absolutely hate the franchise tag like if he gets hurt this season it completely ruins like any chance that he has of securing a long-term deal there's like absolutely no financial security really long-term at all there but you know also if he has another phenomenal season then it just ups his stock even more in free agency next year but um I don't know I I've been hearing kind of murmurs that the agent that he just signed with because he switched agents this offseason is the kind of guy who wouldn't really let something like that happen so I don't know if if it's going to happen for Aaron Jones but I just think the idea of the franchise tag in a year where you don't have a lot of cap space is just an interesting option and I think too with the franchise tag like I think kind of Michelle that goes back to your point of like what does going all in mean to you and what does that look like and if Aaron Jones is maybe a player that you think can get you over the hump then you're more likely to invest kind of those resources and that capital in something like a franchise tag. If you think maybe you can get to the Super Bowl on a one-year rental. Um, So I guess that is kind of something that we wanted to talk about too, is what does going all in and what does success 
maybe look like for this Packers team and maybe how do they do that and how do they go all in given, you know, their cap situation and the resources that they're losing. And, you know, like Perry said, you have the best center in the league and he likely will walk kind of what does that do for your team? Right. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, to me, I guess my definition of going all in would be making decisions this off season, kind of with the express purpose of winning Super Bowl 56, not, you know, thinking about the future at this point in time. Um, so I think in one sense, like that means restructuring deals and kind of arranging your cap so that some of your biggest hits are taken down the line in later years. And they've kind of already done that by restructuring Bakhtiari's deal. So that could be a signal to the rest of the league and to the fans that they are sort of thinking about going all in, in terms of, you know, what it means for this season. Um, but if you've kind of like committed to going all in that, also obviously means that you have to identify any major holes that you think could prevent you from winning the Super Bowl and making sure that you kind of address them to the best of your ability through free agency or the draft. Um, and obviously we've, we've talked about just the cap realities, um, free agency, you know, Gudikin said that he would be open to making a splash for the right player, but the money just might not be there. And then like we just talked about again with Lindsay, you know, Looking at this team last season, it might be that the key, you know, thinking about those holes, um, isn't, you know, tagging Jones or getting a splashy pass rusher, RIP JJ Watt to the Packers, <laughs> or <laughs> getting a big play like wide receiver or slot receiver they could really use. But, you know, Lindsay's coming off his best season, especially in the LaFleur offense. It's so important to have a center who you trust to you know, get into the right looks pre-snap and help you set your protections at the line. And Aaron Rodgers has that with Lindsay. Um, and I think that if you're going all in, you can't afford to make major upgrades. You, at the very, very least, you cannot allow yourself to become weaker at a position that was formerly a strength. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, the all in thing is so interesting to me because it feels like an all or nothing situation where it's like either you are just like mortgaging the future and you're putting all your eggs into this season or you're not doing anything for this season and you're just thinking about the future. But I feel like there is a happy medium there, right? And the Packers are in a good spot, at least in my opinion, because they already have so many strengths at like all the key positions, quarterback, left tackle, whenever David Bakhtiari comes back, wide receiver, cornerback. So they're like in a good spot to make certain moves that upgrade them. Like you said, they don't want to go backwards. They just want to upgrade where they have holes. If the cap was better, I think it would be so much easier to quote, go all in. But I think all in doesn't necessarily have to be this like huge thing that fans think that it is for a team that's already pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you, you got to the NFC championship two years in a row. So, and that's, I think that's one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about because I know, you know, you were one of the people that kind of predicted the Matt LaFleur <laughs> to Green Bay signing, and you wrote a phenomenal piece about Matt LaFleur and kind of what he could do for the Packers. And that's one of the things that we wanted to talk about was, you know, you had maybe been one of the people on the forefront of, you know, Matt LaFleur is maybe better than the perception of him, or I know a lot of fans weren't too high on him. I know a lot of people wanted, you know, other coordinators, maybe one from the Patriots staff. But, you know, what does, what are the first two years? I mean, how do you think that they've gone? It's hard to say that they could have been better outside of a Super Bowl berth or victory given, you know, two NFC championship appearances. But I mean, did he kind of exceed your expectations or 
did you think like, Hey, this is the Matt LaFleur that I'm writing about and thinking that he can be. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I wasn't just writing that article um, that I wrote for Packers wire kind of to be divisive or to kind of like have something different to say. Like I truly believed it at the time that he was the best, you know, given what I saw the team kind of signaling that they wanted to do and given their goals and given Aaron Rodgers and his style of play, I truly felt that Matt LaFleur was the one who could like bring it all together for them. But that being said, I love being right almost (laughs) more than anything in the whole world. Like it's literally why I'm a Packers fan because I've told this story all over the place, but like I, I grew up in new England and I chose them against the Patriots and Super Bowl 31 just to like make my family mad. (laughs) And then they won. And I was like, so pleased with myself that I just like kept at it. And that's, how I became a Packers fan. So all of that is to say, I love to be right, but like even I never could have predicted this level of success. Um, he's only the second head coach in NFL history to lead his team to a first round bye in each of his first two seasons. Um, they've gone 26 and six in the regular season. They've got two NFC titles. They've got, you know, it's, it's, I don't think, I think anyone who said, I mean, even, you know, Gudikins, even Russ Ball, even, you know, Packers, management like anyone who says that they thought he would be this successful I think is lying a little bit because you just never know and we've never literally this is kind of like an unprecedented level of success um so I'm just glad I didn't write that article and then get egg on my face when he like flamed out in the first you know season um but it's it's truly exceptional and you know you have to be a fan of the laundry not a fan of the players and you know there's there's going to be a Packers after Aaron Rodgers as sad as that is and I think we all know that the Packers are going to be in great hands with LaFleur for hopefully many years, probably beyond Rodgers, but you just, you really just, you want to see them win now, you know? Yeah. Do you think LaFleur is capable of coaching this team into the Super Bowl or to a Super Bowl win? I think, I mean, and it's, it's hard to say this because obviously the Packers did get back into the top 10 in total defense last year, even though it's like hard to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, it's so hard to like isolate variables and, and look at factors independently. Um, I think people want to think that Mike Pettin was the big reason for the kind of collapse last year. And I think that it's, um, really worrisome what we've seen from this team kind of like letting leads dissipate or like not coming to play in the second half, not being able to close out. And I think those are things you can maybe, um, attribute to a defensive coordinator more than a head coach. And I know that, uh, Patton didn't really have the same like defensive philosophy as Matt LaFleur. Um, and so it's, it's hard to say, like, I think given everything we've seen from Matt LaFleur, I have to say that I kind of believe he can do it. Um, I think having changing the variable and defensive coordinator is like a really big test. And I think it'll like really give us a better, um, sense for how much of this success and failure um, we can attribute to the floor versus how much can be attributed to, you know, other factors. Yeah. I could talk about Matt LaFleur, I feel like, forever. I just find him to be so <laughs> intriguing. It really was such a surprise to me. Like, the fact that you predicted that, I'm incredibly, incredibly impressed. But you mentioned Joe Barry. So we got to hear his press conference yesterday, his very first introductory. And I got to say, like, the difference between him and Matt LaFleur was, like, night and day. Like, Joe Barry <laughs> went in there with, like, all the fire, was, like, ready to go, like, super talkative. Um, he made a definitely 
an impression. Um, but I just like, I'm curious, you know, we, so your, your husband's a Rams fan. Um, this is true. This is true. <laughs> so we, we've seen on Twitter, you know, like you, you, so you, I'm imagining you watch a decent amount of, of Rams football with him. And so maybe, you know, a little bit more about Joe Barry than, than the average person. At least I knew nothing about him in the higher. I'm not going to pretend like I did, <laughs> but I'm just curious just from your experience watching the Rams and also just anything else, you know, about him, like what were your thoughts on the hire and then were there anything was there anything from the press conference yesterday that kind of left you with any kind of impression yeah so I think um it's and again this this is actually exactly what we were just talking about with Ken LaFleur um coach this team to a Super Bowl because you you never know how much of the you know it, it all just works together in in unison and you can never really know which factor you can isolate but you look at the Rams in 2017 when they had Joe Barry and Matt LaFleur on Sean McVay's staff and that was just an incredible turnaround um, and that's kind of exactly what propelled LaFleur then into the role as um, Tennessee's uh, the Tennessee Titans offensive play caller and so was that LaFleur? Was that McVeigh? Was that Joe Barry? Was that a combination of all three? I love the fact that we have now two of the people from that staff that kind of facilitated that literally historic turnaround for the Rams. Um, I think that's super exciting. And that was, you know, kind of part of the reason I wrote that LaFleur article was that was when we were all joking, like anyone who's ever shaken hands with John McVeigh <laughs> gets a coaching job. And I just like thought that you know, I wanted the Packers to have a piece of that kind of, you know, new system and, and philosophy. Um, I, you know, this is a team where we've had some great notable quotables in the last few years and Matt LaFleur and like, you know, all gas, no breaks and, and kind of everything. And um, <laughs> I love that Joe Barry was like, we're going to play fast and furious. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then he was like, I'm not going to make a bunch of promises, but I promise the guys will tackle. And that's literally, that's all Packers fans want. That is the only thing Packers fans want. It's like, you know, turnovers would be great. Sacks would be great. But like, can you please just get your fundamentals in order and wrap up your tackles and prevent guys from breaking off for, you know, 50 yard completions. (laughs) Um, So if the guys will tackle under Joe Barry, he's a success like immediately. Yep. That was the one that stood out to me too. I was like, I'm done. I'm sold. You're going to teach him how to tackle. Fine. Great. I'm ready for it. And it's just, it's been such a um, systemic problem that has kind of like followed over from capers to pet. And like, I don't know what it is about green Bay. It's been different personnel, different coaches, but the team is just so bad with the fundamentals and with wrapping up tackles. And I don't know if it's because they're trying to, you know, make plays on the ball or, or trying to follow their nose to get to the ball to make a turnover. But it's really, it's truly like a systemic problem. Yeah. And I thought this was really interesting too. And I don't know if any of this was like the Matt LaFleur influence in the hiring process, but hearing Joe Barry talk about kind of the existing position coaches and how much he's excited to work with them. And, you know, Mike Smith, Perry and I talked on the show about Jerry Gray, maybe being an internal candidate for a head coach. So it seems like, you know, if you're taking Mike Patton out of the equation, the pieces were there. And if Joe Barry has more success, then I think that also kind of points an arrow to maybe what the problem was, because we're seeing uh, even on the offensive side of the ball, a lot of position coaches like Adam Stenovich really getting the most out of their position groups. Right. And I think the other thing too, I thought was really interesting was this is a guy who here's a guy who, you know, (laughs) 
Chris and Al, shout out. Um, but this is a guy who, you know, Matt LaFleur has worked with on a previous coaching staff and he interviewed him for 14 hours. Yeah. So if he could interview him for 14 hours and feel pretty like sure about his pick after that, I don't think anyone could possibly expect any more um, due diligence. You know, what else could the guy do? He already knew him and he still, you know, sat on zoom for a total of 14 hours, which is a nightmare. And he said it was a nightmare. And he said too, like this was the most thorough interview experience that he's ever had. And he's been in the league for a while. So that says a lot. I also liked, I mean, I appreciated first, I think it was Bill Huber who asked about his previous defensive coaching, defensive coordinator coaching jobs and kind of like we know that those didn't go so well. And he asked him about it. And I, I really appreciated someone, especially a coach like that who just took like total accountability for like what happened, just said like, I wear those I've grown, I've learned from it. He just really left impression to me of someone who like players will be able to rally around. Like if your coach can admit mistakes and say, here's a lesson through it, I'm going to grow from this. Then like the, he's going to expect that of his players too. Um, and I think I really liked that. I mean, obviously we're not going to go anything until week one and we see how the team comes out or even until like week 10, right. The defense mm-hmm. always takes some time, but I just, it left me feeling really good about the person who is going to be leading this group of men. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. And if, if that's his philosophy that, you know, I, I've, what did he say exactly? Like I have scars, but they've taught me, you know, what he said about that. Like, hopefully that that's kind of like a, a macro level philosophy, but on like a micro level, if that can help him like turn a team around at halftime or like get a team to forget a bad loss yeah. quickly, like if, if he can like really bring that philosophy and like truly believes it, that's so important too, because we've seen this team, you know, if things aren't going well by halftime, it's like the second half is just yeah. moot. Yeah. And that's something I feel like we talked about a lot in last off season where like the one thing that Maggie and I really wanted to see from Petten this past season. And I think to the an extent it got better, but just like whenever things are going badly, they just, I mean, the whole team too, offense too, but just like roll over. Like there's no yeah. coming back. They, they're only, they only do well with a lead. Um, and, and things just go downhill, like real quick, real fast. Yeah. And, yeah. and it did get better this past season, but you know, there wasn't a down 20 to nothing. Aaron Rodgers comes back and, you know, leads the team to win like against the Chicago Bears. There's none of that. And so when they get down, you get nervous as a fan, at least I get nervous on my couch. So I agree. If that's (laughs) something that he can do, I think it's something that the Packers have been lacking the last couple of seasons. Yeah. Cool. No. Okay. So before we, before we ask you about everything that you're working on, I just have to know just for my own personal (laughs) sake, like what was the divisional round game like in your household? (laughs) So, I mean, listen, listen, at the end of the day, and, and, you know, Maggie knows about this too, having a a Browns fan husband, but at the end of the day, it's just sports. Yeah. And sports, like this is kind of, I think that I've been, you know, in my old age, as I get into my mid thirties, I think I've been getting (laughs) some perspective and like sports is, you know, it's very real to the people playing it, but to the fans, like it's kind of fake, right? Like we're like, we don't really this isn't really like, it's not our livelihood. It's not our whatever, but obviously that's all like we're very invested and and whatever, but it's not something that should ruin your marriage. Right. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but we had the unfortunate um, kind of like hardship a couple years ago of the Bruins and the blues playing each other in the Stanley cup final. And I've been a Bruins fan since literally before I could speak. Like I had like a little cheer I would do for the Bruins when they scored when I was a kid before I could even talk. Um, 
so I'm like a, a diehard Bruins fan and my husband um, kind of only got into hockey more recently, kind of because like I love hockey so much. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm the biggest Blues fan of all time. Which fine. <laughs> um, but the Blues beat the Bruins in game seven. And like, I know this is like really ridiculous and dramatic, but like I was upset with him for like months afterward. <laughs> And so then all of a sudden this game comes along and I was, this is, I'm sorry guys, this is like really disgusting, but I was like openly rooting for the bears this playoff so that the Rams Packers matchup would not happen. Like I, (laughs) I so wanted to avoid a Rams Packers matchup that I like was cheering for the bears because I just wanted to avoid it, but it happened again. And you know, it's just, especially during the pandemic, like that's not the scenario in which I would have wanted to watch that game. Like I would have gone to yeah. watch it with my Packers fan friends and like he would have watched it alone or like with, you know, people who were neutral, but having to both watch it here together, like no one was going to be happy because at the yeah. end of the day, like I am, I'm like a really deep empath. Like that's part of why being online is very hard for me. Cause I'm just, I feel everything so strongly and I like feel other people's feelings so strongly. So even though I was so happy, I was like so devastated for him that I couldn't even enjoy the win. So it's just, it's a bad situation all around. Like you never want to have to watch, you know, one of those high stakes games with your spouse when you're like on the other yeah. side of it. Yeah. Like everybody always says, like, I bet you can't wait for a Packers Brown Super Bowl. And I openly <laughs> want to avoid that for my entire life. As as fun as it would be, and like as much as it would be the easiest game to ever lose because it would make him so happy. I'm like, I don't wanna I don't want that to be something that I have to sit through and then have you like hold that over me forever. We already do that right. once every four years, and that's that's right. plenty. And it's just, if you really love someone, like, even if you're so excited that your team won, it kills you to see them so upset. Like you don't want to see them heartbroken. So there's literally no one can win. Okay. So lesson here for Perry is that she's very a Packers fan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like a neutral person. But then if like someone doesn't care about football, like why even be with them? But I couldn't. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Because then they they wouldn't understand like my level of fandom and love. Right. Right. That's funny. Well, let's hope that there's no more Rams Packers playoff (laughs) games. (laughs) Cause at least in like the regular season, it's just, it's just a regular season game. Like it is what it is. It's not as high as you go home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, this was so fun. Okay. So I'm, I, don't know why, but I'm like so fascinated with the fact that you cover the X Games. Like I just think it's <laughs> the coolest thing ever. So how has that been? And I'm assuming you weren't able to go this year because of COVID, but like in past years, have you been able to go before? Yeah. So I, um, and this is like, I've loved action sports since I was a kid. Like I was, I don't really like the term tomboy, but that's like the only term that comes to mind. But I was like, I was not kind of a, um, social construct, like what you would stereotypically think of as a little girl. Like I was very into BMX bikes and like literally all I did was like hang out in the woods with my like guy friends and like ride BMX bikes and ride dirt bikes. Um, and I had like photos from magazines of like Tony Hawk and Alyssa Steamer, like Ryan Nyquist, like taped up on my wall. So I've always really loved action sports. And, um, I sort of got the opportunity um, on like some one-off pieces to like write some articles about them. 
And then I had written enough where it's one of those things where, you know, all the Packers writing I've gotten to do is so amazing, but there's a gazillion people writing about the Packers who want to be the Packers expert. And there's really no one writing about action sports. Like my current gig at Forbes as like the action sports beat writer, I just, you know, contacted them and I was like, Hey, can I be your action sports beat writer? And they were like, sure. (laughs) No one has ever asked them before. And I hear from so many people in the ecosystem now that they're like so happy that there's someone who's like focusing on action sports. But so I've covered in person, um, two summer X games, both in Minneapolis. And then last year I had my first winter X games, which is like the best. I'm a snowboarder and I just love winter X games. But it's funny when you say that you assume I couldn't go this year because of COVID because I actually, um, they were only having five media members on site on the ground in Aspen and I was going to be one of them. And it was like, you know, a couple local people and then a couple national people. And so I was going to quarantine for two weeks and then fly out and I had to get a COVID test before I left. And I got I went for my COVID test before I was supposed to fly out and it came back positive. And like, I had like said this multiple times, like I'm really good friends with um, one of the girls who works in ESPN PR. And I was like working with her on like the plans to go. And I was like, I just feel like my test is going to come back positive for some reason. And I won't show. And she was like, why would you say that? That's crazy. But my husband's a doctor um, and he's in the hospital all the time. And literally like in the two weeks before I went and I was quarantining, I like went into Starbucks once and I went to my corner grocery store once. So either vaccinated people can transmit it or you can get it from going into a coffee shop for five minutes. But either way, it was like horrifying. And then I got symptoms and it was bad. So long story short, I didn't get to go to X Games this year, but um, I love it so much. I just think that, you know, all athletes are so amazing and fun to cover but I think action sports athletes just by virtue of like they don't unless you're like Sean White or Chloe Kim like they don't get the huge media attention unless maybe it's like the Olympics um so they're just so like excited to share their stories and like so chill and down to earth and it's they're just the best I love them that's awesome. What's it like, you know, having like Tony Hawk on your wall as a kid and then getting to interview him? Because I can only like try to comprehend what it would be like if somebody said, Hey Maggie, you can go talk to Aaron Rodgers as a Darius Smith. Like I, th- I think that I would really have a hard time kind of rationalizing that I was having the opportunity to do that. I mean, maybe this is like not very professional, but I definitely cried. I just couldn't. Oh, I would. Again, like I'm such an empath and I feel things so deeply. So I just like couldn't process what was happening. I didn't cry in the interview on the phone. I cried like (laughs) when I found out I was going to get to interview him, but I would say that that was probably like, if there was, you know, any action sports athlete, like my number one, like in football, right. It would be Aaron Rodgers. Um, and in action sports, I would say the number one person I'd always wanted to interview was Tony Hawk. And then this past year I got to talk to him and it was so cool too. Cause he was talking about like, he's going to create a new vert skateboarding contest. And I love vert skateboarding. Like I loved the Tony Hawk games. I like grew up um, like loving vert skateboarding, which is like the least popular form of skateboarding right now. Cause it's all about street. So just like getting to talk to him was just the best. I was That's so amazing. That's such a like special moment in a career to be able yeah. to interview someone you like idolized as a kid. My sister actually used to play the Tony Hawk, like Xbox. Game. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it was that was literally all I did in high school was like play the Tony Hawk game and go to Taco Bell. <laughs> I actually so, you know, in your intro, I mentioned Taco Bell and I've been thinking about this. I've been saving this question because I had Taco Bell yesterday. Huge huge Taco Bell fan, but my what husband was your order? Um, I do the cheesy gordita crunch, but I know that you're a big crunch wrap person. So, mm-hmm. but my husband is a type one diabetic. So those are all like the cheat foods that I get when he's out of the house so that he doesn't know that I ordered <laughs> them. But I, I also know that you're a big beer connoisseur. So I was saving this for the end, but if you could only have either Baja Blast or IPAs for the rest of your life, what would you choose? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> killing me (laughs) save the best for last maggie who cares about the packers anymore like this is just this is uh, what we need to know yeah so hard (laughs) um if i can't have baja blast can i have like og mountain dew yeah because or you know if you have baja blast you just can't drink ipas but you can have other beer Oh, I only drink IPAs pretty much at this point. I used to be a very, you know, I used to have a good beer palette. And I think the IPAs killed my, like they damaged my taste buds so much that now I can only drink like double dry hop, double IPAs because my (laughs) tongue is just like, where are the hops? Um, I think if I was allowed, if I could keep IPAs and then I was allowed to have like regular Mountain Dew, I guess I would have to do that because that's the thing. If I could have IPAs, I would still drink regular Mountain Dew. But if I couldn't have IPAs, I don't know if I would really drink any other beer or enjoy it as much. So maybe the Baja would have to go. Interesting. That is interesting. I, I knew it would be a tough one. That's why we yeah, saved very it. Tough. You know? Maybe you can like doctor regular Mountain Dew to make it taste like Baja. <laughs> well, I'm sure you can. But nothing that's tastes your... as good as getting it from the, the fountain. I know. <laughs> What's your favorite local brewery near you guys? Oh, so that's, um, I living in Chicago is just the best because it, and I, I didn't drink beer before I moved to Chicago, which I feel like it's like a dirty secret. I've lived here for eight years now. Um, I'd say actually probably what I'm drinking right now. So I'm drinking a beer from the brewery hot butcher, which is from, um, Darien, Illinois. So a little bit outside the city, And their kind of like claim to fame is they do all of these like really hazy, um, dank, dry hops, you know, double dry hop, double IPAs. Um, So I think Hot Butcher is is a big one for us. We also love Maplewood, which we've talked about a lot on Twitter. Um, There's just there's so many great ones. And we like that's like kind of my husband's and my like hobby, for lack of a better word. Like every week we go around. Um, our favorite bottle shop in Chicago is Bitter Pops and they carry like all the craft breweries we love. And then we, I think like single-handedly have been keeping the craft breweries in business. <laughs> like we, when we go to Maplewood, maybe I shouldn't like say this to the world, but when we go to Maplewood, we like, we've been tipping them so much virtually and we've been buying so much of them that they always just like throw in like a free four pack of Sun of Juice when we go just cause like we're always there. Yeah. You have to support the local businesses. Yeah, right now. You have I've to. been I've been getting a lot of energy city in my yeah. boxes. And I have to say I have yet to have a bad beer from from them. They're they're in Illinois too, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're close to Chicago or not, but I just I can't get enough. Like I've been really into sours recently and they just have such such good ones. Yeah. I, we just have friends, um, who went to Massachusetts, um, cause that's where she's from and they brought us back Trillium and this was, I don't think they even really realized like what a gift that was or like how rare, hard to get or how much money people would pay. But like, 
they just showed up with it um, with a black dog tote bag. And I was like, this is like my life and yeah. essence. Like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, if you're ever in New York and you want some local brewery recommendations, I got, yes, you. there are a ton now in Brooklyn and, um, I've been trying to order with Tavor and then also from my local places also, because they're, they're definitely hurting, but hopefully now that it's getting warm out, people can go and sit there and sit outside. So, right. I don't want to make everyone wait while I try to look it up on Tavor, but there's a bunch of New York breweries that I just ordered from on Tavor and I'm really excited to, to try them. Um, one was in Brooklyn for sure. Maybe, maybe they're all in Brooklyn actually, but yeah, Brooklyn's really killing. And that's the thing, right. For a great brewery, you just have to have like a great water source nearby. Mm-hmm. So it's like Denver, New York, Chicago, like anywhere that's on the water, you know, it's going to have good beer. Yep. yep. If neither of you have ever been to Asheville, North Carolina, highly recommend. It is like the brewery capital of the United States. We went there on our honeymoon and they actually just posted some beers um, from one of the Asheville breweries um, on Tavor today. So I ordered those immediately because I wanted to reminisce, but yeah, I, this is why I wanted to have you on. You know, there's like a little bit of Packers, a lot of Taco Bell, a lot of, lot of beer content that our listeners are, you know, really here for. Yeah. What, <laughs> what else is, is life if not, you know, beer, Taco Bell, and Packers? There you go. Nothing. I think <laughs> that does it. I think that's, is there anything else that you're working on that you would like to plug on our show? Um, otherwise, you know, feel free to just send out your social media. So if people aren't following you, they know where to, where to access all of your really good content. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been so fun. Um, so I'm on Twitter at Michelle Bruton. Um, I am, I'm actually going to be doing, I just, um, signed on like a little mini contract with Bleacher Report to do some NFL free agency stuff for them this month. So that'll be like at the end of the month, um, which will be fun. And then I'm not writing for the She's Had TV draft guide this year because I just have like way too much going on, but I'm editing it. So I'll get to read everyone else's really <laughs> great uh, contributions, like be the first person to get eyes on them, which is exciting. And um, I'm doing a lot of music writing these days too. And I have a really cool article coming out this week where um, I interviewed the lead singer or like the co-lead singer of one of my favorite bands, Tiger's Jaw. Um, so that article is coming out this week on the alternative too. So a lot of cool stuff. Going yeah. On. You write about everything. It's very impressive. I know. It's very <laughs> exhausting. <laughs> well, I can't wait to, to read what you're doing for Bleacher Report. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It'll be fun. It's, I kind of, I, I love, um, when that happens because it really forces me to be on the up and up. Like it can be easy to kind of fall, you know, if I'm not covering the Packers daily anymore, like really plugged into NFL free agency, it can be easy to kind of slip off and, and fall a little bit behind. So when I have like a little mini contractor project, um, it really forces me to like, you know, dive back into it, which I love because that's like how I got my start, you know, writing about the Packers through Bleacher Report. So it should be a pretty unique, unique free agency also that we're seeing this year. So it'll be be really interesting to like be, be super plugged into what's going on. I, I know this is a little bit off topic. I know we're trying to wrap up, but Maggie and I saw a tweet today and I'm sure you did too, about just like how many players are going to be kind of released and out there on the, on the market. And I just don't think that we've seen an off season like this in a very long time. No, it it almost feels like I've been thinking about this, that the NFL is sort of starting to feel like the NBA where people just sort of like are traveling around, joining super teams, you know, offering their services to the best team that wants them. And 
you know, part of the thing I love about the NFL is that people kind of hopefully draft their stars of the future and then retain them. Like that's the hope. Um, I hate when teams decline players fifth year option because I'm sort of just like, this was supposed to be your homegrown guy. So it's been really interesting to see it take on a more like mercenary approach where people are just kind of like doing their four years with the team and then they're gone. And even something like, you know, the, the Dolphins are talking about moving to and it's like, we're really only giving guys one year now to prove themselves as a quarterback. Like what if the Packers had done that with Aaron Rodgers? So um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I don't know if this yeah. is the start of a new trend or just kind of like a weird year where the contracts all lined up this way, but it's, it's going to be wild. Yeah, I guess we'll see what happens after after this season. I I am in the camp where I hope it's not like the NBA because I agree yeah. with you. I, I like those sort of players, and it's so rare now where players, you know, retire with the same team that they were drafted by. But I, I appreciate that so much from the NFL. Yeah. This was so fun, Michelle. Thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was this was awesome. We are trying to make it a habit of getting more guests on and primarily, you know, women that we admire and look up to in sports. And you are absolutely one of our favorites. We read everything that you write and, <laughs> you know, can't wait for you to get, I guess, to the, the X Games next year when, when COVID <laughs> is hopefully non-existent and looking forward to all of the work that you'll be doing. Uh, you know, make sure, Pax, what she said, listeners, that you give Michelle a follow. Uh, you know how to get around period me at this point you know you know you know what our twitter handles are in the podcast <laughs> twitter but thank you as always for listening to the show go pack go go pack go and jones out in front they're trying to chase him down he's inside the 10 and he is in for the touchdown the title is back.